0: Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 45, Jacob was finally revealed and reconciled with his brothers again. Remember that it was the second time that they had came to buy food. And it was this time in which they had brought their brother Benjamin along. And Jacob had engineered for his silver cup to be placed in Benjamin's sack. Now, once the whole point is this so that they can be brought back and brought brought back before Joseph himself. And all of this, remember, the whole theme of everything extends from Genesis 42 and 11 in which the brothers had decried unto Joseph. When Joseph accused them of being spies, the brothers said, we are honest men. And so, therefore, Joseph and the things that he did, we saw basically three tests being given by Joseph to determine indeed and whether they were not, they were truly honest men. First test. He took their brother Simon and kept them prison. The second test, when they came back again for the second time with their brother Benjamin, he gave Benjamin a five-fold greater amount of food at the dinner table in which he honored Benjamin more so than the rest of his brothers in order that Joseph would sit back and see how the brothers would respond to seeing Benjamin being honored in this fashion. To answer the question in Joseph's mind again, Are you indeed changed men? Are you envious of Benjamin, my brother, like you were envious of me? How you hated me? How you uh, hated me because of my dream? How you desired even to kill me? How you put me in this cistern? How you sold me to Ishmaelites as a slave? Are you indeed changed men? And then the third test that Joseph gave them, as we just got through talking about, was the test of the silver cup. To which he was not only simply testing their honesty, but he was testing whether or not. And we know that Judah did this in the most beautiful way imaginable. Would they come to the aid of Benjamin? Because whose whose possession the cup was to be found, that one was to be made slave. And it was in, in whose sack? Benjamin's sack. But they understood what would happen to their father, Jacob, if anything happened to Benjamin. Remember Jacob? Jacob's favorite wife was Rachel. So therefore his favorite son, Joseph, but Jacob did not know he was alive quite yet. And also it leaves Benjamin, who would be like the replacement favorite son, if you let me say it that way. But so what did Judah do? Judah began to beg and plead Joseph for the life, not only of Benjamin, but also for the lives of his other brothers. And also because of the emotional state, it would leave his father, Jacob in. Remember the whole point is, if anything should happen to Benjamin, Jacob would go to his grave in sorrow. This was a beautiful thing. And what happened? Joseph could not no longer contain himself. And finally he revealed to his brothers that indeed, he was Joseph. He was still alive. And so he inquired about the welfare of his father, the welfare of their families and simply told them, don't be angry about what you have done. Don't be angry with yourselves." He showed magnanimity that what God had engineered this whole situation using your wrongful uh, anger and resentment of me, the jealousy. Using how you mistreated me, your maltreatment of me, using all of these things to engineer, to, div- div- to send me into the land of Egypt, into the land of Goshen. Why? So that I may provide for your families. The famine has come, and there are five years yet of the famine that is still to come. But nevertheless, don't be angry with yourself. So Joseph displayed uh, great grace towards his brothers, great forgiveness towards his brothers. And that is a remarkable thing. How Joseph forgave his brothers for how they mistreated him. Bottom line. So don't be angry with yourselves. Joseph understood how God was working in his life, how God was working in this event behind the scene. And so he go and tell, tells his brothers. Go and get my father. Bring him back to the land of Egypt. Show him my glory. Show him my riches. And that's what he did by sending him those donkeys with all of the provisions and the donkeys with the richness of Egypt, riches of Egypt, right? The wealth of Egypt on there to prove to his father, Jacob, that Joseph was in a position that he could provide for his father. So he tells his brothers, go And get my father and bring him to the land of Egypt. But also, too, the brothers had opportunity to stand before the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh graciously extended the same invitations to his brothers. Remember who the Pharaoh of Egypt is and who is considered to be by the Egyptians as if he was a god himself. So this is the highest honor and the greatest authority of invitations that you can receive. The brothers get this. They return back to Joseph. So with The provisions of Pharaoh, remember, he sends also the wagons with them so that they can carry their little little ones, the children and their wives and their father, Jacob, who the trip would be hard on them as well as glory of the land of Egypt, glory from the land of Egypt. So they come back to Joseph. Joseph sends them home. He tells them, do not Quarrel amongst yourself along the way. The whole point of all of that was simply to say, it's no time to play the blame game. Let's not re- re- rehearse the past again. Who's responsible for this? Who did this to Joseph? Who said that to Joseph? Whose fault is all of this? Let's just bury the hatchet. Go get my father, bring him back to me. Don't quarrel. So they did that. They went home. They told Jacob that Joseph was still alive. He was absolutely dumbfounded. Found it hard to believe, but then they began to evidence the fact. Benjamin saying, Yeah, dad, he's still alive. Remember, B- Benjamin is Joseph's full brother, right? He's still alive. He saw all of the, 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 the provisions and the wealth of Egypt that Joseph had sent. Remember that? To 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 as evidence, not only that he was alive, but also that he was able to provide for him. His heart was lifted, of course, to the highest degree. And now he begins to say to himself, I can die in peace. My son Joseph is alive. So he prepares himself to go down into the land of Egypt. OK, but the whole thing we have to remember is as one of the, the patriarchs, remember Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. There is always the reservation about going down into the land of Egypt. So let's look back when it came to Abraham, when God brought him into the land, Genesis chapter 12 into the land of Egypt. I'm sorry, into the land of Canaan. And there was a famine that hit the land of Canaan. What did Abraham do without consulting God? He went down into the land of Egypt. This ended up in a travesty. He almost lost his wife, Sarah. God had to rescue Sarah from the Pharaoh. All right. And then another time, what happened with uh, Isaac, the, the father of Jacob? There were issues concerning in the land of Canaan. Once again, Isaac was again tempted to go down into the land of Egypt. God had to stop him. I believe that's chapter 26 from going down into the land of Egypt and say, do not go down into the land of Egypt. Dwell in the promised land that is in the land of Canaan. Okay. So dwell there. So again, what do we see with both Jacob's father as well as his grandfather? There was always issues about going into the land of Egypt. Now we have this invitation from Joseph to come into the land of Egypt, we have this bad, horrific situation of famine that has struck the land of Canaan, even in the land of Egypt, has struck uh, Jacob and his descendants. They had to figure out some kind of way of surviving. so we can see uh, 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 his unwillingness, so to speak, of going into he desires want to go, but unwillingness to ascend, to go into the land of Egypt. And this is where we get ready to move into chapter 46, where God will begin to intervene in these things. But nevertheless, so as we move into chapter 46, the whole point is, uh, Joseph is alive. Jacob has now discovered this. Jacob is preparing to go into Egypt. There is hesitance on the part of Jacob in going into Egypt, but nevertheless, He gets ready to go. All right. With all of that. Now let's go back into. Let's now go into chapter 46. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and they came to Egypt Jacob and all his descendants with him his sons and his grandsons with him his daughters and his granddaughters and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt All right so now let's look at this section So notice so Israel notice we call once again and we saw this earlier the uh, changing of the name of Jacob from Jacob to Israel. Remember in the place that Jacob himself named Peniel, which means face of God, where Jacob wrestled with God himself and there God changed the name of Jacob to Israel. And this is to uh, introduce a greatness of Jacob, a changing from the person of Jacob unto the person who Jacob will be. That is Israel, the tribal father of the people of Israel. So there's a sense of exaltation in the name, one who wrestles with God and prevails. But nevertheless, we can't rehash all of that. We see a changing, We see a going back and forth from calling him Israel to calling him Jacob. When you want to talk about Jacob, the person, kind of deal with him as a person himself, zero in on that. The scriptures refer to him as Jacob. When it wants to refer to him from a tribal identity, from the uniqueness that he and his people will become ethnic, unique, chosen by God, and a tribe that will become great, and all of that thing calls him Israel. Okay? So this is what we see that's happening here once again. He leaves with all that he has. We also see the hesitancy. Remember that we talked about earlier with Jacob that was in his mind. He leaving. Should I leave the land of uh, um, Canaan? We understand all of the things that are involved the, the famine that's involved and the invitation that's given by my son, Joseph. Yay, he's alive. But do I leave Canaan? And so God graciously appears once again to Jacob in visions of the night. And in that he comforts Jacob's heart to let him know. It is now okay to leave the land of Canaan. You don't have to worry about like what happened with your father, uh, grandfather, Abraham, or what happened with your father, Isaac, the warning that I gave him not to leave. I am giving you permission. Leave the land of Canaan. This is the will of God. So he, he lets him know that's God's will as Jacob is now. Instead of coming to Beersheba, once again, this is where the place we do recall that Beersheba was the place where his father Isaac uh, uh, was dwelling at this particular place. And this is where he comes. God, God comes to him in the visions, lets him know. He gives him comfort. He gives him uh, uh, affirmation. It is okay to leave the land of Canaan uh, while he worships God one more time in this way in the land of Canaan before he leaves, all right? And so God also continues to comfort him and tells him, remember the Abrahamic promise? Part of the Abrahamic promise was to make his seed a great multitude of people. Remember, it would say things like, like the stars of the sky that no man could number, like the sands by the seashore that cannot be counted, okay? God will fulfill, he lets him know, he will fulfill this part of the Abrahamic covenant when his descendants go down into the land of Egypt. And then he also gives him another word of comfort to let him know that at the time of his death, the son that he loved so much, we know, we keep talking about the Joseph, the favorite son, that this son would be the one who will be with him when he dies. And that's when he uses a euphemistic statement. He'll cover your eyes. Okay. And so therefore he lets him know not only this, When you go down into Egypt, God says unto him, in a similar way that he says, I believe it's in chapter 28, when Jacob himself was leaving the land of Canaan, fleeing from his brother Esau, going to Padan Aram, the household of Laban, his mother's brother, when he was leaving the land of Canaan. Remember what God said to him in the dream, when the ascending of the angels, ascending or descending, God said to him, and made the promise, I will be with you. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. He makes a similar promise to Jacob once again. And he says, I will go down into Egypt and I will be there with you. And guess what, Jacob, I will bring you back to this land. And God keeps this promise of bringing Jacob back to the land of Canaan when Jacob himself is buried in the cave of Macphila, which was purchased by his grandfather, Abraham, as a burial place for his grandmother, Sarah, to where Abraham himself was also buried. Isaac and Rebekah was also buried. And we also know that Jacob himself would be buried along with his wife, Leah, in the cave of Macfield. He will be brought back into the land of Canaan. God will keep the promise that he made to Jacob. OK, but anyway, so. Receiving this uh, vision of revelation from God, of course, Jacob is enlightened. His heart is lifted. And he is okay about leaving the land of Canaan. So he gathers his son, his families and all that they had acquired in the land of Canaan. And they happily go down into Egypt where Jacob is fully expecting to see his son, Joseph, alive once again. The same Joseph whom he has not seen in over 20 years, this Joseph, whom he thought was dead. So he prepares everything to go down to see his son, Joseph. All right. So now let's get into the next section. So let me give you sort of a warning. The next section deals with the family, the tribal family of Joseph who go down into the land of Egypt. So it basically is genealogy. Those from, Joseph, from Jacob's family who go down to constitute all of Jacob's people, the tribe of Jacob, the tribe of Israel in the land of Egypt. And because of this genealogy, since there's no need of a lot of commentary, except for in a couple of spots. And I'm going to try to keep the commentary brief because we've dealt with those things a great deal so far in the teaching in the book of Genesis. But basically genealogies of, from the family of Jacob who go down into the land of Egypt. So not, not a lot of commentary needed except in a couple of points. And along the way In that commentary of the genealogy I'll make those points so it shouldn't take me long to deal with that and for the most part we'll just simply read the text and give you the names of the descendants of Jacob his sons and their sons who went down into the land of Egypt okay so now let's start at verse number eight now these are the names of the sons of Israel Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt Reuben Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Pelu, and Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, and Jacon, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. Now, normally I wouldn't stop there, but it is needful that I should do. So, as we're moving on, and it's basically dealing with the sons of Jacob in in order. Okay. But we'll talk more about that specifically. It talks about the sons of Reuben and Reuben's son that went down with him into the land of Canaan. But specifically where I want to stop at as we start to deal with Simon and names his son. But notice it says that the sons of Simon were by a Canaanite woman. Here's where you have to hit the brakes once again. Remember the reason why they are God has engineered the famine, driving Jacob and his family into the land of Egypt in the first place. We all come from, again, I believe it's Genesis chapter 34, Dinah and her bright idea, fooling around with the Canaanites. She went to see the daughters of the city and remember uh, that being the threat, and we can't rehearse all of that. And you got to look at the teaching that I did on chapter 34, but the threat of Jacob's family Assimilating with the Canaanites. Remember the whole point of marrying the Canaanites, God having to deliver them from that event. Once again, what happened? Judah chapter 38. Judah has the bright idea. He goes and marries, he departs from his brothers, marries a Canaanite woman, has children from these Canaanite women, the first two sons learn the ways of the Canaanites, learn the ways of their Canaanite mother. That's what you have to see. Learn the ways of that Canaanite mother who is a Canaanite, a worshiper of idols, immoral and all of that. They become so wicked that God himself kills Judah's two sons, the first two, okay? Judah himself becomes corrupted, learning the ways of the Canaanites. What happened? Okay, and we can't rehash all of that. You have to go and look, look at the video on 3rd eight if you want all of the information. But his own daughter-in-law, who was supposed to be married to his own son, he was supposed to give his third son, Shelah, once he became of age. But Judah didn't want to give her to be married. He was afraid to give her and wondering that God might kill him too. But nevertheless, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, uh, plays the harlot. She fools, she disguises herself as a harlot. That is, a temple prostitute a prostitute to the idol gods of the Canaanites. She disguised herself that Judah believes that she is such a prostitute. He, he, he goes and sleep with her. How much, you, how much you, you, want for me to sleep with you? How much you, how, how much you give, or whatever the lingo that you do give to a prostitute, in order because that's what he thought she was a temple prostitute ends up getting her pregnant, having children by her. But the point that is so important to see is Not only did Judah marry the Canaanite woman, you see that his sons did not learn the ways of Judah's people. They learned the ways of the Canaanites. Not only Judah himself begins to act as if he is a Canaanite. You see it now? God has to get the people of Jacob out of there, out of the land of Canaan. He has to bring them. See, this is justification for why God is doing. Why did God choose Joseph? Why did God use Joseph? Use Joseph, sending him down into the land of Egypt. Use the famine because God controls the weather. God controls controls crop growth. Why is God doing all of these things? To get Jacob's people, the chosen people of God, all the way from Genesis chapter 12. Get them out of the land of Canaan. Why? There is a constant, consistent threat. You see here. Simon is married, a Canaanite woman. And you know what happened with the mess of Judah marrying the Canaanite woman? Constant threat. You lose your ethnic identity. They would lose that Jacob's descendants in losing their ethnic identity. Remember, God had chosen them specifically from Genesis chapter 12. Keep and bear the knowledge of God for what purpose? So that all the families of the earth would be blessed. The Gentiles. We're coming to the knowledge of God. He chose Jacob's descendants to bear the knowledge of God, maintain the worship of God, propagate to spread this knowledge of God with the rest of the people, the Gentiles. But if they keep marrying these Gentile women, as we see they're doing, into marriage, and what happens? There's the threat of idolatry. We saw that with the Shechemites. We saw that with what? We saw that with Judah, big time. Big time we saw that with Judah. And in this threat of intermarriage, they would lose their ethnic identity, therefore losing their purpose to which God had called them. And therefore, it would be dissoluted. And that's the whole point justification. Why God must send them into Egypt, into a place where they would be set apart, namely Goshen, set apart from the Egyptians, set apart from the Canaanites. Okay. So that's one of the big things that we see here in the genealogy, starting with Simon. All right. So with all of that, now let's just simply continue with the genealogy. Verse number 11, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, Merari, sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And remember the Ur, Onan, and Shelah, These are the sons of Judah that he had by the Canaanite woman that all of that stuff that I just got through telling you guys proof positive why God had to get them out. Judah married the Canaanites. But here's that list. Er, O'Nan and Shelah, Perez and Zerah. And remember Perez and Zerah were the sons of Judah by Tamar when he thought she was a prostitute. How awful that is. Right? But nevertheless, proof again, got to get them out of there. But Er Onan, as we told you earlier, died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puvah, and Eob and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she boarded Jacob in Padan Aram, with his daughter Dinah, all his sons and his daughters numbered. 33, so now it gives us the first group of people. 33, these are, remember, remember, Jacob married two wives, Leah, his first wife, Rachel, his second wife. His intent was to marry Rachel, but remember his father-in-law Laban tricked him and he gave him Leah. And then after one week later, He gave him the daughter that he wanted, that is the woman that Jacob wanted to marry originally, Rachel as a wife. So these were his two primary wives, Leah and Rachel. So with respect to Leah, his first wife, it just simply gives us the genealogy of children that descended from her. Leah gave Jacob in all six sons, six sons and the sons from those six sons, including Dinah, and it he spells her out specifically because we know it he spelled her out earlier. Chapter 34, Dinah, the Dinah incident, as well as other daughters. OK, see that. So his sons that came through Leah and her sons who were going into Egypt in all numbered. Thirty three Leah, the first principal wife. And that's what we see in this group. All right. So now let's continue on. Uh, so where are we now? We are in verse number 16. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Ira, Arodi, Arila. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, and their sister Surah. And the sons of Bariah, Heba, and Machiel. These are the sons of Zilpah whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, and she bore to Jacob these 16 persons. So now this section deals with the, the children that, from the handmaiden of Zilpah, okay, of Leah, which is who is Zilpah. We remember, when Leah was married to Jacob, her father Laban gave her a wedding gift, and the wedding gift that he gave to his daughter Leah was a woman a handmaiden her name was zilpah okay so this was his gift to his daughter now in time the daughter the 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 two married wives of jacob we remember leah and rachel they got into a having a baby contest both trying to win the affections of jacob by producing children for him when they saw that they themselves were not bearing at some point in time Children, what they did was they gave their handmaiden to Jacob as a concubine so that Jacob could have children by these handmaidens on behalf of the principal wives. Okay, And so in keeping things in order, Leah being the first principal wife of Jacob. Right. Now we deal with her handmaiden concubine to Jacob. Who gives children to Jacob. You see it now? So the order from the first wife, and now we're dealing with the first wife and her concubine, Zilpah. And he simply all he talks about is the children that come from Zilpah, who is the uh, handmaiden of Leah. So her children are all numbered to be what is the number? 16. So now she gives 16 children. Leah, 33 her handmaiden Zilpah, 16, all right? So now with that, now let's continue. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And so now here we're dealing with Rachel and this is the second wife of Joseph. Remember, as I just told you earlier, Jacob had two wives, Leah the first and now Rachel. And so now he begins to talk about the sons that his principal wife, Rachel the wife that he favored gave unto him Joseph and Benjamin here and we take notation special that it calls Rachel here his wife interesting enough Leah is also his wife a principal wife Rachel identical same as Rachel is a principal wife but it doesn't call Leah a wife it calls Rachel a wife and what it's doing is the scripture is maintaining the idea as from Jacob, Rachel was his preferred wife. That was the one that he really loved. That was the one that he really wanted. And so therefore here, it calls Rachel Jacob's wife. Now to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him, the sons of Benjamin, Belah and Beecher, and Ashbel, Girah, and Naaman, Iha and Rosh, Mupam and Hupam and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob. There were 14 persons in all. And so now it just simply dealt with, as it has, the text dealt with Leah and her handmaiden. Okay, that's aside to one group. Now we begin to bring in another group, okay? And it begins with Rachel. And of course, later on, we're gonna deal with Rachel's handmaiden, Bilhah, but we're not there yet. But with Rachel having two only two sons, we know that she died when Benjamin was born. She called him son of my sorrow, but Jacob renamed him son of my right hand. But nevertheless, the two sons that you have, Joseph and Benjamin, and then it talks about the sons of Joseph, and remember, Joseph's two sons, both of them, Manasseh and Ephraim, were born in the land of Egypt, okay, through the wife that Pharaoh had given from one of his magician, one of his magician clerics, if you'll let me say it that way. Pharaoh had chosen Joseph out of wife because that's how he saw Joseph in this idolatrous sense the dream interpreter. So he gave Joseph this wife and Joseph married, of course, was married to her, producing two sons. And then it begins to talk about Joseph's brother, Benjamin. And notice we see in this and Benjamin was quite fruitful. I think it was what? Ten sons that Benjamin had. So all in all, the sons that came from Rachel herself were what? 13 sons, right? 14, I'm sorry. 14 persons in all. Now let's move on to Rachel's maidservant. So let me just get this out the way since I'm on it now. Remember in the same way that Laban had given a gift to Leah for her marriage, Rachel also as the daughter of Laban, he gave a present a marital gift to his son, Rachel, as a gift in marriage. Okay. And he gave, like he did for Leah, a maidservant. This maidservant's name was Bilhah. And once again, the reason why Bilhah becomes important is the same reason why Zilpah became important. When the two women, that is wives of Jacob, Leah and Rachel got into this having a baby race in order to make Jacob happy, to make him love them the most. When they got into this baby making contest, when they themselves could not have babies, they used their handmaidens. They gave their handmaidens to Jacob as concubines to produce children on their behalf. And so as Leah did this with Zilpah, and so now we're going to see how Rachel did the same thing with her handmaiden, Bilhah, and the children that came directly from Bilhah as well as the sons of Bilhah. And this is the section that we will see here. Okay, so where are we now? Uh, 25, I believe it is, no, 23. The sons of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel and Guni, and Jazir and Shalim, These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter, Rachel, and she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all. And so I've already explained that. This is how Bilhah, this is the naming of her descendants, Bilhah. Okay, so let's continue. Uh, 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, his direct descendants... Not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob and who came to Egypt were 70. Okay, so now we give a consummation, a full count of the number. And it simply says, all the sons that were born directly, directly from Jacob for his direct lineage, not counting his wives, okay, were 66 persons in all. But then when you include the persons that are in Egypt, that is, remember, who were in Egypt, Joseph, as well as two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and include the person of Jacob himself, we come to a total number of 70 and this is the number that we see in Genesis this is the number that we see I think it's in Exodus chapter 1 and I think once again this number is reiterated in Deuteronomy when Moses ta- speaks to the new uh, uh, nation of Israel and I don't want to get in all those details quite yet but that new nation of Israel how God had brought 70 persons from the land of Egypt and now they are this great number uh, in the time of Moses now way into the future that they will become in the future. But the point is 70 persons in the land of Egypt. Now we understand that according to Acts chapter seven, and we don't want to get a lot into that. When Stephen was speaking to those uh, uh, priests who were uh, uh, railing against him and he was talking about Moses and he was rehearsing the history of Israel and Stephen used the number 75 persons. Now, all I'm going to simply say in that is this, it seems that Stephen got his number from the Septuagint, which is simply a Greek rendering of the Old Testament. So the Greek rendering of the Old Testament, I don't want to deal with all of that right now. And so we'll see a difference in the number of 70 over against 75, the number of the New Testament in Acts chapter seven. But nevertheless, the point that we're stressing here is 70 persons from the tribe of Jacob in all went down into the land of Egypt. Okay. So now let's see where we are now. Verse number 28. Now he sent that is Jacob Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die. Since I have seen your face that you, my son, are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds. For they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now. Both we and our fathers that you may live in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is loathsome, to the Egyptians. Okay. So now they are in the land of Egypt. All right. And they're getting ready to enter. And so what he doesn't know exactly where to go. And so now Jacob sends Judah to plot out the way he sends them to Joseph so that he can get the directions to go into the land of Goshen. What is important to see here is how Jacob chooses Judah. Remember, and I don't want to OK, I keep saying that over and over again. Don't I guys rehash it? Judah is not the firstborn son, but Judah is acting. The sons who are with Jacob, with Jacob, Judah is acting as the lead son with Jacob. But truly, Jacob has the right. I'm sorry, Joseph has the right of the firstborn son. This was supplied through the dream of Joseph. Remember the dream that everybody would buy down to him. Remember that? And even Jacob acknowledged this thing in giving Joseph the coat of many colors, the reasons why his brothers hated him in the first place. given to Joseph. But Joseph is not with Jacob. Joseph, Jacob only has these 10 sons with him. And out of those 10, Judah, Jacob chooses Judah to, to take the lead. Why? Remember again, uh, his eldest son, Reuben, had did a very dishonorable thing. He slept with Jacob's concubine. Remember that? And in that act, what happened? Uh, Jacob refused the, to allow Reuben to have the preeminence of leading the family as the firstborn son. Remember that? And so remember, it was even Reuben who wanted to bring Joseph back out of the system. We can't rehash it all when they put him into the cistern, Joseph had went to visit his brothers. They put him into the cistern. Reuben wanted to bring him back, probably no doubt, to kind of garner uh, 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 some praise from his father. And remember at the same time too, when Joseph, remember when, when the brothers thought they didn't know who Joseph was, when they went down into Egypt to buy food from Joseph, Joseph speaking through an interpreter, they didn't know who Joseph was, but nevertheless, Uh, Joseph kept Simon and Joseph had said that if you don't bring your brother Benjamin back, remember all of that. And then when when they came back home, Reuben again trying to assert himself as no doubt some sense of dominance or head of the family. Reuben said on the lives of my two sons, send Benjamin back with me. But still what happened? Jacob refused this offer of Reuben. Remember that? So everything that Reuben was trying to do to assert himself in some sense of dominance or preeminence, it was rejected by Jacob. But all of a sudden what happens? Judah shows up when they finally have to go back into the land for the second time, said, we can't buy bread from this man unless we bring back Benjamin. And what happens? Judah convinces his father, Jacob to give Benjamin into his care. And so what does Jacob do? He submits Benjamin to the care of my. all I'm trying to say is we can see how Jacob is trusting Judah, not as the head of the family as a whole right now. Okay. Joseph, that's for Joseph. But in the absence of Joseph, Judah takes this position. And we will find out later on, In the prophecy that Jacob will give concerning his son, even though Joseph right now is the head of the family and has the preeminence, Jacob himself will prophesy. I believe that's in chapter 49. I'm ahead of my time, but let me just simply tell you guys how Jacob himself will prophesy how that this rod, this scepter of power will come from Judah sometimes in the future. In other words, Sometime in the future, Joseph's uh, glory and exaltation will be eclipsed by the tribe of Judah. How do we know that? Because David comes from the tribe of Judah. David, whose great son will be Jesus himself. Jesus descending from the tribe of Judah. So all of this kind of washes in that vein of things. Okay. Okay. I went way too far in explanation of that. I was very much premature, but I hope you guys understood why I did that. But nevertheless, so Jacob chooses Judah. Go talk to your brother, Joseph, find out where we're supposed to be going and to where this Goshen is. Judah comes back, leads the family into Goshen. Joseph gets his uh, royal chariot to meet his father, Jacob in the land of Goshen. And when he sees his father after over 20 years, you can imagine once again, how the emotions just bled out of Joseph. And he just, he didn't even try to contain it. Of course, because why he had been revealed. He's their brother and all it's revelation. So he just poured out the, the sorrow of missing his father on his. So in the Bible said he wept, for a very long time on Jacob. And his father Jacob said, okay, all right, I can die in peace now that I've seen your face, my son. Because remember, the thought in Jacob was that he is an old man and soon he would die. But still, he would live for some time later on before he would die. So God would be so gracious to Jacob to allow him to have some time alive with his son Joseph. Okay? so. As Joseph goes down to meet him. So he says, "Okay, now you guys, he prepares them to meet the Pharaoh of Egypt. And we got to remember, he does not want to offend the Egyptian. So he tells them when you meet Pharaoh, tell him that you are keepers of sheep. That's your job and your occupations so that when he questions you, he'll he'll understand that's your occupation. He'll place you in the land of Goshen. Because he does not want to offend the Egyptians by calling them shepherds at this time. So he just simply calls them keepers of sheep, okay? Not trying to offend them, even though later on the boys will say something a little bit different. But we're not there yet. That's for the next chapter. And so he tells them to do that. So when you go down unto the Pharaoh, tell him these things when he inquires of your occupations. Why? He says, simply because you have to be careful. And this is the engineering of all of these things, shepherds and the Egyptians find certain occupation as well as these uh, Semites, in a sense, in a sense, these and what they are doing, their occupation of job to be nauseating unto the Egyptian. And so, therefore, remember how it was when Joseph ate with his brothers, how that, uh, Even though Joseph was over the Egyptians, remember he was only under Pharaoh, still the Egyptians did not eat with Joseph. They would make a distinction. So this same distinction would be made between the Egyptian people as well as these Jews, okay? By sending them away from the Egyptians into the land of Goshen, which would be a fertile place, not far from where Joseph would administer, not far from the Nile. But it was a fertile crest, not far from the Nile and not far from Joseph's administration. But the point is, they would be away from the Egyptians. The Egyptians considered this to be nauseating, an abomination to them. But the point is, this is what I'm stressing since we're at the end of the chapter. The wisdom of God in knowing and keeping devising their separation from the Egyptians. So what is God doing? By bringing them into the land of Goshen, he is separating them, once again, we've hashed it a thousand times, he's separating them from the Canaanites. Not only is he separating them from the Canaanites, he is also separating them from these Egyptians. Why? So that the people of Jacob, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, can grow and multiply, maintain their ethnic distinctiveness. Remember, not be married to the Canaanites. And of course, since they're being considered obnoxious by the Egyptians, they won't be married to the Egyptians either. Maintains their what? Their ethnic distinctiveness and also in maintaining that, not intermarrying with these Gentiles, whether they're Canaanites or Egyptians, they won't get involved and brought in to their idolatrous worship. Therefore, being able to maintain suitability for the purpose to which God has chosen them for in the first place, that is to maintain the knowledge of God and to share this knowledge of God with the Gentile world or as God simply said to Abraham, and in you that is in your seed shall all of the families of the earth, the Gentiles, be blessed. Be blessed how? In the knowledge of the true God. All right guys, thanks for joining with that. We now have seen Jacob has now come down peacefully into the land of Goshen, into Egypt. He has now been reunited with his son, After over 20 years, he is happy. Things are well. And the next time that we come here and we start moving to chapter 47, we are going to see how that the children of Israel are now going to be settled into the land of Goshen as they speak to the Pharaoh. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.